Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. Thank you for tuning in. I am glad to share the next little bit of time with you today. I'm all about you thriving in life and growing in your relationship with Jesus. At Valley View Friends Church, we like to say that we're learning how to live as God's people, and we do this by reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. Before I continue, I want to to let you know that there'll be a little break in the podcast next week. I'm going to be taking a little vacation over the Labor Day holiday, Uh, so just be aware there won't be a podcast. All right, today we're going to finish our series from the teaching of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' teaching, this sermon, that calls the Christian to a holy life. Well, several years ago, there's a story about a man named Larry Walters. He was 33 years old at the time, and he decided he wanted to see his neighborhood from a new perspective. So, he went down to the local army surplus store one morning and bought 45 used weather balloons. That afternoon, he strapped himself into a lawn chair to which several of his friends tied the now helium-filled balloons. He took along a six-pack of beer, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and a BB gun. He figured he could shoot the balloons one at a time when he was ready to land. Walters assumed that the balloons would lift him about a hundred feet into the air, and uh, he was caught off guard when he took off. His chair soared up more than 11,000 feet into the sky, smack in the middle of the air traffic pattern of the L.A. International Airport. He was too frightened to shoot down any of the balloons, so he stayed airborne for more than two hours, forcing the airport to shut down its runways for much of the afternoon, causing long delays in flights from across the country. Soon after, he was safely grounded and sighted by police. Reporters asked him three questions, and here's the questions they asked him. Were you scared? Yes. Would you do it again? No. Why did you do it? Because, he said, you can't just sit there. And I've got to admit, Larry has a point. Life is too precious to just sit there. But life is also too precious to just act for the sake of action. You want your life to be meaningful. You want to do what is right. At the end of the day, you want to be able to look back at what you've done all day long and know that what you have accomplished is good and valuable and worthwhile and, in our case as Christians, godly and pleasing to God. It's good to experience thrill and wonder, to feel your accomplishments and to know what you've done has has made a difference. But you can do those things, feeling thrill and wonder and accomplish things, and at the end of the day, still arrive at the wrong destination. So today I want to bring our time in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount to a close with his two final teachings. And one is about knowing God, and one's about weathering storms. At least that's what they look like they're about. These teachings are often kept separate, but they go hand in hand with one another. Both of these teachings are about living in a way that matters. Not just any way that seems exciting or seems good to us, but living in a way that matters. And so, simply put, Jesus says clearly that it is vital that you listen to his words and you do what he says. This makes the difference in life and eternity. So, If you want to live in a way that matters, if you want to do more than just sit there, listen to the words of Jesus. Really listen. Take them in. Learn them. And then do them. So, let's read the text. 
look for the calls in this text as we get ready to read it to heed the words of Jesus and look for the calls to obey the words of Jesus. It's both hearing and acting, hearing and doing are a part of this text. It's in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 29. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them to practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So, both of these stories, especially the parable of the two foundations, are to be read as the capstone of the Sermon on the Mount. These words of mine, the phrase that Jesus uses, refers to the Sermon on the Mount. That is, if you want to live well for God, if you want to live a life that's meaningful, obey the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus also means all of his words. And even more than that, we are to obey the whole word of God. One might even make the case that we are to understand Jesus himself as he is the word of God. I mean, it's hearing these words that he speaks, but also hearing him because he is the word. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 simply say this, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is the word. We hear his words and we hear him. So, Jesus says, hear these words of mine. It is a Sermon on the Mount. It's the whole of all the words that Jesus speaks. It's the Bible that we listen to. It's him that we listen to. So, we understand that Jesus' words, uh, these words of mine, extend uh, more than just a Sermon on the Mount, but everything in the Bible. Uh, There's another passage of Scripture that works that way. It comes in the book of Revelation at the end. Uh, And these words at the end of Revelation seal the book of Revelation so that no one tampers with it. But they're also words that we we read and say, okay, that means don't mess with the whole Bible, the Word of God. So, like, you could go to Revelation 22 and read verses 18 and 19, where Jesus says, I warn, or uh, the text says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add that per- to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and, the- and in the holy city which are described in the scroll. So, it's a warning, right? It's a warning that... Ta- it- don't temper, tamper with the book of Revelation, but it's a warning that extends over the whole Bible. And that's the same with Jesus's words when he says, you know, those who heed my words and practice them, it's, it's his Sermon on the Mount he's talking about, but also the whole Bible. And so, hearing and doing are a very important part of living a life well, hearing and doing 
the words of Jesus. So when we hear about the story of the house built on the rock and the house built on sand, there's a certain amount of action that comes to mind. There's the building of the house. There's the action, the turbulence of the storm. There's the, the falling of the house that's built on sand. Uh, there's, there's action. There's doing. And the action that matters, that's meaningful in this story, is from those who hear the teaching of Jesus. It's those that hear the words and act on them. And the problem is those that hear the words and they don't act on them. The implication is simple. It's not enough to just hear the gospel. You need to hear it. We all need to hear it. It's not enough to hear the word of God. It's not enough to go to church and to sit through worship service and hear God stuff. We must hear the words of Jesus and respond in obedience. We must do. Our first story that we read here, because there's two stories, is of those who find out that they never knew God and that He never knew them. It illustrates how important it is to do the will of God, to live a life that's meaningful. I'm struck when you go back to verse 22, how it describes people that do a lot. They're doing, doing, doing. They're very active. When Jesus says, I never knew you, they say, well, wait, we did miracles in your name. We set people free from demons in your name. They do a lot of good things. They do all of this in the name of God. But in the end, all their activity, all their holy things that they do, do not amount to anything meaningful. How does that make any sense? What's going on here? They did a lot of things in God's name. That should shake us up, get our attention. Jesus is telling us that doing and looking good, doing good and being religious isn't enough. Verse 21 tells us that doing the will of God makes the difference. It's not enough just to do what you think is good, to behave in ways that you think are right. We need to actually attempt to do the will of God. There are a lot of people in this world right now doing nice things or trying to do what they think are nice things. Or there are a lot of people trying to do what looks holy and religious to them. They'll do things in the name of God, but they're not actually concerned with God's will. They're just concerned with doing what they think is right. There is a difference between what I think and what God says, or at least... I know just from our human nature, there's often a difference. We need to minimize that difference. Cut out what we think and get to know the will of God. So, how do we know we're doing God's will? Well, it comes back to that hearing and then doing. That's where the second teaching connects. There's a wise man and a foolish man in that second teaching. Both act and both build a house. The wise man hears the words of Jesus and acts accordingly. The foolish man also hears the words of Jesus. So, what's the difference? One hears and acts accordingly. The other hears and then does what they want anyway. They just do what looks right to them. When a storm comes, only one house will stand. The life built on the rock, it lasts. The house built on the rock lasts. The other is washed away. So, if you want to turn 
hearing and doing into an equation, a math problem, it would look simply like this. Hearing plus doing equals obedience that pleases God. But it's only if you're hearing the words of Jesus and doing the words of Jesus, then it will equal obedience that pleases God doing his will. The doing is a challenge, though. The Christian faith requires that we do what Jesus says. Absolutely. That's the response we have to Jesus being king of our lives. Now, I have to admit, I've never paired uh, these two stories together of the people who said, Lord, Lord, and the two foundations. I always thought they were pretty different, but they're actually very similar. One's about what you say with your lips and how that translates into your actions towards God. And the other is about the words you hear and your actions towards God that follow. There's lip service and there's ear service that can be no good. But taking the word of Jesus seriously and then acting on it, that is pleasing God. We are called to do. James has a bit to say about this in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and then after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that, is, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. I think you can hear the echoes of the story of the foundations and the words of James. They hear and they do. They hear and then they act, or they don't act. And the action that results from hearing the word of God ends up in blessing. Lip service without action is dead, or lip service without hearing is dead, and head knowledge without action is dead. We need to be a people who act. Now, I've got a funny little story here. Uh, you may or may not agree with it, but I'll stick it in. I think it's something for us to consider, because I think sometimes we work so hard on getting the knowledge about who God is that we forget to act, right? We, we have to act. There's a story here. It goes like this. William Gladstone, an English statesman, knew a little girl in his neighborhood who believed strongly in the power of prayer. Her current concern was a trap that her brother had made to catch birds. And she was a bird lover, so she prayed that God would frustrate her brother's designs and that he would be unsuccessful in his plan of catching birds. She had shared this resolution with Gladstone and told him how hard she was praying. One day, upon encountering her, Gladstone observed a particular radiance on her face, and he said to her, Julia, you look so pleased. Are you still confident your prayers will be answered? And Julia smiled, a knowing smile, and retorted, I know for sure that my prayers will be answered. Yesterday, I kicked my brother's trap to pieces. Now, you might not agree with Julia's that Julia's prayers or actions were all that holy. I'm not sure that's the way we always get the answers to our prayers, but please do not forget that sometimes God uses you to answer your own prayers. Let us not think that because we have prayed, we have done all that God wants in a given situation. Sometimes we pray. We're seeking God. We're seeking His will. And God is up in heaven saying, I hear you and go do it. 
He's telling us to act, and we don't. But just as smashing the birdcage might have made you uncomfortable, we're not called to you know, just take matters into our own hands, but we're called to do what Jesus says. And we do this by hearing his word and then acting on it. John 14, 23 says this, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. There again, it's hearing Jesus's words obeying, doing those words, and then God makes his home with you. He's pleased. So there's doing. We've got to to have that part. And then there's hearing. Hearing Jesus' words is, is fairly simple. We tend to make it really complicated, but it's the words that he speaks in the Gospels, but hearing Jesus' words is really about reading the Bible. And we take those words in the Bible very seriously. We need to. If you want to hear the word of God, you've got to believe it. You say, all right, this is true. I may not understand it. I may not always agree with it, but it's true. Be a student of the Bible. Read it. Listen to it. Study it. You know, we humans are not so good at following instructions. And we've got to get better at it when it comes to the Word of God. Uh, just We're not good at following instructions. And, you know, look at any of the warning labels on products. It's because people haven't followed instructions. There's, Have you ever seen those, those warning labels? And here's a couple examples. And every time I see these, I go, okay, this means somebody somewhere didn't read the instruction manual. So here is a warning found on a hairdryer. Really, truly, found on a hairdryer, do not use while sleeping. On a hotel-provided shower cap in a box, the, the warning was, or the instruction was, it fits one head. Did someone try to put it on two heads? I don't know. At once? How does this work? On package on the packaging of, of an iron, you know, for getting the crinkles out of your clothes, it said, do not iron clothes while on body. Somebody tried, Right. On a string of Christmas lights, these ones always get me, right? The warning is for indoor or outdoor use only. You could just say for indoor or outdoor use. But to say only, I kind of always wonder, well, what's the third place we could use Christmas lights that's not indoors or outdoors? That seems to take up all the universe, right? There's all these warnings because we're just not good at following the instructions, following the manual. You would hope for some simple things, you wouldn't need the manual, but for the more complex, the more difficult something is, the more you really need to get out the instructions, and nothing is so complex as life. I mean, it is simple to live, right? But it's complex to navigate life well. Yet so many of us are trying to live without the manual, the Bible. The Bible is God's manual for your life. So hear it, become a student of it, read it, get into it. I have run into so many people who that assume they know what the Bible says. They assume they know what God is like. They assume they know what God wants. Our communities are full of what I would like to call, if you'll permit me to use the term, secondhand faith. It's secondhand faith is a faith that's passed on to you from a parent, a grandparent, a, a pastor, a real religious person that lives next door. 
the Christian ideals, they you may not agree with me, but they are all over our culture because they are secondhand placed there. Our country was founded on Christian principles. Our nation has experienced great awakenings of faith. For its entire history, Christianity has been held in a majority position in our communities. All this I'm saying is to say that faith is part of the fabric of our culture. When it becomes a part of the fabric, we start to pick it up in a secondhand way. There are a lot of people walking around that they think they know what God is like because they're full of handed down, secondhand, even thirdhand faith. That is, we believe what others tell us that Christianity is. We believe what our parents and grandparents tell us about the Bible But we don't actually know ourselves. There are a lot of people that don't know themselves. We all need the witness of secondhand faith. Someone's got to share us what they know, right? But that should be the way firsthand faith begins. Firsthand faith is when you encounter the living God yourself, when you read his word yourself. Too many of us want to live out salvation by association, as though being near God's stuff will make us holy and fix whatever struggle we're in. But it doesn't work that way. You can't live by secondhand faith. You have to hear and dig into the Word of God for yourself. Here's a warning, parents. Parents, do not just tell your children what to believe about God. Yes, I know, it is a complex world with all kinds of crazy stuff going on out there. And so, we want to tell our children what is right. I get that. But do more than just tell them what to believe. Help your children become a student of the Bible. I think for fear... A lot of parents, they're afraid of what can go wrong. And so, we tell our children what's right. We tell them what's wrong. We, we just explain it. We say, I'm going to give you the short version of how this works. But if you only teach them to take your word for it, rather than train them to wrestle with God's word, you're just teaching them secondhand faith. You're taking your faith and you're inserting it into their lives. And you have to teach them how to grow their own faith in the Lord. Now, secondhand faith, I'm going to tell you what's right, what's wrong. That'll work with your children until you are no longer the most authoritative voice in their life. When your kids become teenagers, they all do, right? They'll start to test and they'll start to doubt you. They will also test and doubt your faith. When they gain a dear friend, they'll take on that friend's faith. If you have only taught them to take on others' faith. When they sit under a professor who has spent a lifetime becoming an authority on a specific topic, they will take in and take on the secondhand faith or lack of it from that teacher. Instead, teach your kids, teach those you love, to grow first-hand faith, faith that is their own, that discerns all the second- and third-hand ideas that float their way. Get the help of others, sure. Get the help of others for your own faith, your own understanding. But do not let others do your work in digging into the Word. Yeah, I would hope that my teaching would help you. But my teaching as a pastor 
or whatever pastor you have in your life should never take the place of your own study of the Word of God, for your own time seeking God's face, for your own time in prayer. Never should replace that. Do not be a person who tries to live out salvation by association. You will get the best of life when you build your life on the words of Jesus with first-hand knowledge of the words of Jesus, with first-hand experience acting out, acting on the words of Jesus, with first-hand obedience to the will of God. We often want to make following the will of God all about discerning a mystery or a secret, trying to unlock the problem. And certainly there are parts of God's will that are a mystery to you and me, but His word makes much of his will available to us right now. Both the parable of the foundations and the parable of the confessors, Lord, Lord, you know, we called you Lord, Lord, they're parables directed at those who want to be a part of God's kingdom, or at least they want to look religious. It's not parables that are designed to go after unbelievers, but instead these are parables speaking to those trying to follow God. It's asking for you to go beyond the surface into a deeper relationship with Jesus, really getting to know Him. When you diligently hear and do the words of Jesus, you will be transformed. Eugene Peterson writes these words, When we submit our lives to what we read in Scripture, we find that we are not being led to see God in our stories, but our stories in God's. Hmm. I think we have a choice between the foundations, the foundation of Christ or foundation of ourselves. The foundation of Christ is eternal and solid. It's where you find salvation. It's full of truth. It's dependable. The foundation of ourselves is temporary. It's weaker than we like to think it is. It's full of condemnation. It's full of falsehoods. It's not dependable. Our own foundation, it's tempting, because when we try to build on the foundation of ourselves, we, well, we're in control, and we can make our own plan, and it's often comfortable. I'd like to leave you with the words of Paul, thinking about the foundations your life is built on. Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, By the grace that God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light, and it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. The question I have for you, can you say that Jesus is the foundation your life is built on? And is it built by hearing and then doing what Jesus tells you to do? Let's pray. Lord, help us to take your words very seriously. 
that we would heed the words of Jesus, that we would see in his words our need for his gift of salvation and your command for obedience. Help us to be a people of holy action, not just doing what we think is right, what we think is good, but by being obedient to you and your word in every part of our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.